Welcome back to Two Nobodies, everyone. Rupesh is here again. You know, we've had a few episodes recently where we've, we're trying to support parents. We're trying to support the dads. And that's always been a focus of our podcast. Kyle and I, relatively new dads, love talking about the topic. It's obviously always prevalent for us in our daily lives. And today we have a fantastic guest who reached out to us, written a new book. It's focusing, a focus on parenting. It's called for raising four-dimensional children in a two-dimensional world. Interesting title. And so, so excited to have Tim McCarthy here uh, to join us today. Tim, welcome to Two Nobodies. Really excited, looking forward to our conversation, look, looking forward to just learning about the way you presented things in the book. I took a look at it. So thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to be here and just proud to be a nobody for the day. <laughs> well, you know what? It's it. I think... The two nobodies is just a moniker where, you know, no judgment on anything. We're all just to be humble and, and come with a place of humility. So appreciate you taking on the moniker for today. And, and I think we should have a good chat. And so, um, you know, the book looks interesting. I took a scan this week of it and I, I didn't want to deep dive into it because I always love to learn as we're talking, but um, just the way you organize the book, you know, there's a section for, for every stage um, in a kid's development, which makes it really easy for, for parents to navigate. And I want to talk about, you know, maybe some of those different stages, but I also read that your background is in, you know, you're a grandmaster in, in, in martial arts and I want to learn more about your story. So maybe come at it from how you kind of came at this book but fold in like, yeah, the background of martial arts and what type of martial arts did you study? Basically Taekwondo. Uh, but when okay. the UFC came around, pretty much everybody said one art really isn't enough. And so we transitioned from Taekwondo pure to martial arts and incorporated a lot of the uh, Apkido, Haikido wrist techniques and uh, some jujitsu and such and to make it a complete martial art. But anyway, I got my black belt 1978. So how old would you have been? Uh, 22, maybe Okay, like that. Okay. It was just before I started teaching school. I had been training in four or five different arts and pretty much settled with Taekwondo because those were the best teachers I could find in my area. Uh, got my black belt, went off, did my first year of teaching in the public schools interesting experience uh went back into the private schools which was where i i went to catholic high school mm. so we had spiritual education right from the get-go uh totally missing in the public schools and so i was a school teacher for 10 years uh, including about three years of administration and got uh, kind of fed up with not being able to do everything i wanted so i went into the martial arts full-time and okay. ran a school for my grandmaster, uh, then moved up into a management company where I was advising 700 to 1,000 schools across the U.S. and Canada on how wow. to be better businessmen and better teachers so that not only could they teach what they want, but the school could stay open, they could pay the bills so they could continue to teach their students. And I added, I have a master's degree in education, 
So I mm. added the educational aspect or a, a broader educational aspect to what they had been taught in Eastern education. So some, what of my claim to fame is I understand the Eastern model of education as well as the Western model of education. And I've combined them. In those 30 years when I was advising martial arts schools, we developed the after-school martial arts program. I'm sure you've seen signs, after-school mm. martial arts, summer camp. Mm -hmm. We didn't invent it. Uh, we partnered with somebody who was a, a pioneer, but I added my educational background to it and made it very simple so that any school could take a 16-year-old assistant and say, here, read this, take these 10 kids, and do this educational activity. And so we packaged it, provided it, uh, and of course, because it's martial arts, it's not just an academic education. Of course, there's a physical aspect. Yeah, for sure. There's a tremendous emotional aspect. The, uh, the self-confidence mm. it, it works in kids is amazing. And on the other end, if you're a bully, it's a great way to calm you down and appreciate uh, how to treat other people. And then, of course, there's the spiritual education. We stayed away from religion. We didn't want to say only this religion. Mm -hmm. or, you know, but the difference between right and wrong. It's important to know how to punch somebody, but it's more important to know when to punch somebody and For when sure. not to punch somebody. So having taken all that, I retired a couple of years ago and decided to bring that to the average parent mm. and say, okay, how can you teach your child not only academically in the school system, that's their job, but they do a great job of that, Physically, uh, PE just isn't taught much in school anymore. So how do you help your child develop physically? Emotionally, very, very few school systems have any kind of emotional curriculum. And spiritually, unless you're in a private religious school, you're not going to get that because it's been sure. legislated out. You know, yeah. The lawyers just say, you can't teach my child your religion, mm -hmm. understandably. So who can do that? The parent. But the parent probably doesn't have a degree in education mm. or a degree in psychology. So I did all that for them. I packaged it up in what I call the owner's manual for parents that they didn't get with their child. And it starts prenatal care, goes all the way through the crazy adolescent years and basically tells you what's happening in their brain, why it's happening that way and what you can do about it. So let me kind of end my diatribe there and <laughs> no that, that that's that I, that's an amazing that's an amazing overview tim and you know what just the connection to martial arts and how you thought about bringing those four dimensions to parents really resonates with me like i i uh was a black belt in taekwondo but i did it when i was like i finished that i the reason why i asked you the age is because i finished that at like the age of 15 and i can't really say at this point that you know there's still some things that might stick with me but i don't think i can't call myself a legitimate black belt anymore i haven't practiced it anymore but when i think about those four dimensions when i was a kid studying taekwondo um, I think all those elements, maybe the spiritual one, I'm trying to think of how that would have got folded in, but certainly those other three dimensions for sure were, were uh, a key part of my development as I was learning Taekwondo. And, and so that's an interesting way of, of, of approaching it. Um, yeah, that's when, when you think about the, 
the spiritual dimension that's that seems like the the physical makes sense i think parents probably understand that that's a really key component that they need to work on with their kids even for probably for themselves right to be model examples and then the emotional side i think people are understanding that there's that's a really uh, key component to a child's development and people probably taking that seriously mental as well the spiritual side i want to learn a little bit more about why that is such a key dimension for for kids and maybe talk about because I think I read a little bit in your book that it starts even before um, conception, you know, before a kid, uh, before some a, a child is conceived. It even starts with the parents before that. Maybe talk about the spiritual dimension a little bit more. All right. So spiritual dimension, I believe, and the spiritual dimension is belief over fact. Fact is the realm of the mind, the mental dimension. And you can't really apply the mental dimension to the emotional dimension. Can you tell me what love is scientifically? No. And so you cannot expect to describe the physical dimension academically. Hmm. Okay. So it's a matter of belief. And so whatever your religion, my religion, somebody else's religion, that's their spiritual dimension. Even if you're an atheist, you don't believe in anything. Hmm. Uh, beyond this world, I hope you believe in right and wrong. And mm. again, to me, that is morality. That is in that is part of the spiritual dimension. Now, personally, I believe we are spirits in a physical, emotional, mental experience. Mm. And the spirit will live on. If that's true, the spirit is intact, is whole. From the time you're a person, the time you're an individual to the time you die and beyond. Okay. If not, fine. If you don't accept that, you know, I, I don't have any revelation, you know, direct revelation from God or anybody else. But right. that happens to be my belief. And I believe the spirit is limited for whatever reason to this brain. And therefore, it can only see what we see and understand what we understand. And that's why we don't understand God's plan, because we can only see it from our mind. And we're limited as an infant, extremely limited in what we understand. As we grow older, we start to understand more. Somewhere around the age of seven, most religions have a ceremony because you're able to understand better. Uh, When you hit the teen years, you've got your bar mitzvah, you've got your confirmation, you've got... All these ceremonies where, okay, you're becoming an adult. Can you accept adult responsibility in the moral sense for right and wrong? Interesting. I'm sorry if I'm going on this long diatribe about spirituality, but that's part of how I view everything. But again, if you look at my book, even if you don't accept any of that and just take the moral, the spiritual section as morality and Mm -hmm. how the brain understands morality as it develops and how it it can deal with right or wrong. A very young child uh, basically understands punishment and reward or, or pleasure and pain. And so just telling your two-year-old why he shouldn't do something doesn't, doesn't go in, it doesn't register. Mm-hmm. But, or nope, that they can register. Okay, when they hit maybe seven years old, they start to understand a little bit better. This, uh, you'll, you'll see Uh, they'll start to understand other people's needs. Mm. So when the brain can understand that you're different than me, that daddy likes broccoli, 
but I don't like broccoli. So here's, a, here's candy and broccoli. Which one are you going to give to daddy? And they've done experiments like this. And at a certain age, the kid will go, oh, daddy gets the broccoli. I'll get the candy. Not because mm. they're selfish, but because they understand daddy likes something different than them. Once they understand that, then they can start understanding that they can hurt somebody else's feelings. Then, ooh, 10, 11, 12 years old, you start moving on to the point where, okay, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay, so, so and that was going to lead to my next question, and you're kind of getting into it, is like that development of that spiritual dimension and when that starts to happen, because, you know, the broccoli example, or I'm just thinking about my kid, she's four years old, and um, you can see like the emotional development happening, right? And is it is it like the, the emotional dimension develops kind of first, which leads into that moral, more spiritual dimension, or like... Like, because you talked about 10, 11 people, then there's this other interpretation that starts to happen. Like, is there a certain age of development where um, one dimension feeds into the other or are they kind of, or is a spiritual dimension happening earlier? Like when, what's the timing look like in your research? Very good, very complicated question. Uh, I broke it down into totally separate dimensions for yeah. ease of understanding. But as you say, they are all happening at the same time. Sure, yeah. You don't just live in, in one of the four dimensions. So, and they develop at different rates in different people. So, yes, something will happen in the brain, okay, which allows it to think a certain way. And then something has to happen in the body, uh, the hormones, that'll affect the emotions. And it's kind of a cycle if you understand how you get angry. Uh, I call you a nasty name and mm. you immediately think that's not right. And then these um, hormones start to get released and you start to get angry and you get angry and then you start to think more angry thoughts and it kind of feeds on itself. Ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. And so you work yourself into a froth and you want to beat me in, into a pulp. All right. You can learn to stop that once you understand the process. Somebody calls you a name and you feel that that's not right. But then if you can replace that thought with, but he just doesn't understand. Maybe mm. he's had a bad day. And if you know, and this goes back to treating people with love. Don't respond to anger with anger. Respond to anger with love and understanding. Why, you know, why did you say that to me? What, you know, are you what's wrong? Did I say something to bother you? Is it my mm -hmm. fault? Okay, so there are lots of different reactions you could have other than the first anger. And so that's, those are the things you can learn at the appropriate age. Now you try to teach that to a two-year-old, it's not going to work. You have to wait for the brain to develop. But there are activities you can do to help the brain develop step by step to continue. Uh, let me just jump to how many adults do you sure. know that are uh, emotionally kids, emotionally <laughs> teenagers? You know, they, they just never got past that. And oddly enough, if you read the book and you go through some of the activities while you're teaching your child, you may go, "Ooh, I need to learn that too. For sure. Yeah, actually, that's what I, when, Tim, when I was going through this, and sorry to cut you off, but um, while I was going through this, I was like, we probably could all benefit from some of this, right? Especially the teenage years. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of philosophy in there on, on how to treat people. And I mean, even some of the, the young things on, on how to be... A friend if you want mm. to be a friend if you want to have a friend 
be a friend. Okay, well, how do you do that? Just what you're doing. You ask me questions of things that interest me. And when I talk about the things that interest me, boy, I like you because you asked me those questions. Right. So just, just that skill alone to teach a child on how to make friends is, is a tremendous confidence builder and, mm. and popularity builder. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, when I was, so my family is Hindu and I was raised that way. I, I wouldn't say I, I practice so much, uh, in, in the, in the faith now, but you know, as a kid, you know, you're, you're taught about these things and I'm sure all kids, you know, whether they're brought to church or go to temple or go to mosque or whatever it might be. I don't know, as a kid, I wasn't necessarily making the connection about why I'm there or asking these kind of questions. Right. But I'm trying to think about certain events that started to make me wonder about like where my parents couldn't explain something or teachers couldn't really explain something, whether it be like someone dies or some sort of tragic event happens or something that's just so out there that you can't explain. And I think I wonder if those are also triggers for kids of like, okay, there's something else like um, beyond the physical, emotional, mental worlds or dimensions as you called it and there's there's it sounds like there's something else right because then sometimes parents will defer to to a higher power or something another energy or whatever way they want to characterize it because they just can't explain why maybe somebody's done something so terrible or something tragic has happened or something amazing has happened and so i i i imagine that as a kid you start to then your mind starts to wander into this other dimension. I don't know what your thoughts on that, but. Well, when you, again, it's part of understanding that different people think differently than you or feel differently than you, and that happens yeah. very young. But somewhere in the maybe preteen to early teen years, you, you get this feeling, well, you get this experience where you go to somebody else's house and they may mm. have a different religion than you. Okay, so mm. you were raised Hindu, how many yeah. Christian friends did you have? And yeah, now right. all of a sudden, you know, your authority figure, your parents say this is true. Their authority figure, whom you like and admire, says this is true. How mm. can both be true? Which one is true? Okay, so to me, that's what triggers that. But deep down inside, we have that spiritual need for meaning, for belief. And when, when we get something new, Education is the process of taking your current belief, adding some new information, and possibly forming a newer, better understanding. All right? So mm. you have your understanding, you have your friend's parents' understanding. You try to combine them, you try to understand what might be a better way, a more educated way of understanding everything. And that's why we talk to different people to learn more. And going back to probably our original question of the spiritual dimension, my personal opinion is that we're here to learn. And mm. by the end of life, we hopefully have learned something important. And that's literally why we're here. If we're, if we're just going through drinking and smoking and having a good time, what have you learned? Not much, I don't think. So hopefully, We've learned some things by, by the time we're ready to go and pass on to wherever we go next. Yeah. On that vein of, of you know, we're here to learn, 
you said you studied the Eastern philosophy or approach to education, the Western approach to education. What do you, what have you noticed are some key differences in those approaches? Well, a lot of the Eastern approach is, is master student. And we did that in the Western approach as far as back as the middle ages, you would have the master carpenter and he would train an apprentice carpenter who would become a journeyman, who would become a master and then have students of his own. Mm. And so that was mm. my model. I had my master who became a grandmaster and eventually bestowed upon me the rank of grandmaster. Uh, and so that's part of the Eastern model of education, but also it's much broader. It's not an academic education. You know, you mm. don't study for your SAT test so you can get into a college and get a degree in this certain field. It's more balanced. There's, there's, you need your physical, you need your emotional, and you need your spiritual. And, and so that's how I say I bring the Eastern side into it. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's interesting. Cause I, I always, um, you know, my cousins in India, for instance, I always noticed that they, uh, there was a lot of focus on memorization, for instance, right. And, and, uh, not necessarily trying to understand concepts and, and they couldn't quite understand why I wouldn't just like memorize a, a multiplications table, for instance, right. And, and why I would need to understand how that actually that process works. And there's always this kind of push and pull on like, what's the better way of learning things. And so I just came into my mind as, as you were talking, but, um, when you, when you're, when you're thinking through these four dimensions, how did you like organize your thoughts? Like, how did you organize your approach to like, this is how I'm going to present the information to parents. Like, I, I imagine that that process would have been, uh, thought through because it, it, some of these things are, um, there's probably so much to talk about in each dimension, but what was your approach and how you presented the information to parents? Well, you begin with the end in mind. And so okay. I naturally am a, a classifier, an analyzer. And so I wanted to create this book to present the four dimensions. Mm. And then as I was researching child psychology, basically, it was broken down. There's clearly things that are happening in this age group and clearly things happening in that age group. And right. so I realized, well, I need to present it that way, that an infant is different than a toddler, is different than a preschooler, than an elementary schooler, a preteen and a teen. So those were the, the largest groups or the, the pretty consistent groups I could come up with. So I said, okay, those are my chapters. Hmm. Then if I'm going to talk about four dimensions, I have to break each chapter into each of the four dimensions. And so that's where the organization came from. And then I came up with the practical idea of making the chapter available separately. So in other oh, okay. words, you can buy the book for hmm. five bucks online, but you don't know me. You don't know how good my advice is. You have a preschooler, just buy the preschool chapter for under a dollar. Hmm. I'm not in this to get rich. I'm in this to help people. So you buy the preschooler chapter for a dollar. You find out if you like it. What if you don't? What have you lost? But if you do, you've got the information you need right there in all four dimensions. And then as the kid grows older, the next chapter of the whole book. Yeah, very cool. And and I saw that there was a bit of a section on the two dimensions itself. 
And you say like, you know, raising four dimensional children in a two dimensional world. And, you know, if I, if someone said, uh, what's it, if someone asked me, what's a two dimensional world, I think I would have maybe an answer, but I'm not even going to take a crack at it. Like what, what, how did, why did you classify this as a two dimensional world? For the most part, I say we're living in a two dimensional world because you and me right now, who's ever watching us is watching us in two dimensions. Hmm. If you remember your basic geometry, there's length and width. And so any mm -hmm. computer screen, any phone, laptop, TV only shows the world in two dimensions. And the more time kids spend on their phones, on their laptops, on their tablets, they're living in a two dimensional world. Right. So okay. One of my goals is to get them out of the two dimensional world into the four dimensional world, the real world where there's depth beyond the screen and According to H.G. Wells, the fourth dimension is time, where things mm -hmm. have to last for more than a, a few seconds or more than a, a, an instant, I guess. And so if we can get them out of the two-dimensional world into the four-dimensional world, and I'm not a physicist, I'm not going to argue whether time is really the fourth dimension or there's a tesseract, or blah, 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 mm -hmm. but I drew the parallel to the four dimensions of human beings. And so let's get them off the screen and create four-dimensional children where they live and breathe in, in this real world and they're also developing physically mentally emotionally and spiritually and we're increasingly like you said being bombarded with with everything that's forcing us in that two-dimensional world you know you hear about the the metaverse and all these virtual environments that these major companies are trying to you know get us to to subscribe to and it frankly, it's, it's scary, right? Like for, for what that means for our kids. But then, you know, I also, to play devil's advocate, I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is how I would want to raise my daughter, but, or how I would want to live my life in that sort of two dimensional world. But do you see any benefit to an increasingly two dimensional world at all for our kids? I don't know about increasingly, but I would not have met you except for the two dimensional world. Sure. Okay. And so, and there, I did most of my research on my computer mm -hmm. about the child psychology and what people say and, and the research to back up my opinions. Yeah. So there's a tremendous advantage. I didn't even have to go to a library. When I was mm -hmm. in high school, I had to go to a library. I had to go to an encyclopedia to figure out anything. Now it's all at my fingertips online. I can talk to, where are you? You're in Toronto? We're in Edmonton. Edmonton. Okay. How in the world could I talk to you or meet you without a computer? So For sure. tremendous yeah. value to it, but it cannot be my whole world. Mm. I have to have balance. And throughout the book, I kind of, I talk about the research and some practical limitations for the two dimensional world, because and face it, if you're a teenager and you don't have a phone, how are you going to survive in your society? But if you spend 10 hours on the phone, that's to me way unbalanced. You've got to have a balanced life. But does, does it depend on what, I guess, maybe what you're doing on your device? Like, cause you can, you can probably develop those other, and I'm sure people are developing like the emotional dimension and the spiritual dimension by engaging in that two dimensional world. Like if we can, if we can satisfy, I guess the only one maybe is the physical but anyways, like if you could potentially satisfy all four dimensions in this two-dimensional world, like, does it matter? I don't believe that. 
I don't okay. you can satisfy all four dimensions. Now we're face to face. I can read your face. So we have some emotional interaction. Yeah. So that's similar to face to face, but it's very different than talking on the phone or texting. Okay. So that it's texting to me. Uh, I, don't know. I just, I didn't grow up that way. It's hard for me yeah. to understand when it takes me two minutes to text something that I could say, Hey, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Done with it. But anyway, um, so yeah. And different people like, I mean, you got Vladimir Putin, who's trying to control his part of the world mm. through his physical power. And Mark Zuckerberg, who's creating a world he can control in the metaverse, mm -hmm. which is better. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I want my own world that I can control a little bit better. And maybe it's limited to my house, <laughs> but yeah. at least I've got a little more control over it. And yeah. I can exercise my brain, exercise my body, exercise my emotions, fall in love with my beautiful wife and exercise my spirituality. I don't know how, I mean, I could learn spirituality. I could probably learn to meditate, learn to meditate better. Uh, I've, I've taken a course on Reiki online. So yeah, there's tremendous opportunity online, but I don't think I can learn the spirituality online. I have to take what I've learned and then experience it within me or in my life as opposed to online. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think those are all all great points. And, and I was thinking along the emotional dimension about emotional resilience and, and in this two dimensional world, like it's so easy for us to all right, like, you know, on my at work at my teams, I always say, you know, it's at when we because we're, we're back into this sort of hybrid environment in our office and and I said, we, we can't really shut off our screens anymore, right? It'd be funny if we just kind of put up our, our a picture of our face when we tried to in, in the boardroom or something like that, right? Like we just can easily disconnect and not have to deal with things in a virtual environment or in a two-dimensional world. Whereas in the physical world, you know, we have to deal with things and we have to good, bad, or ugly. And I, I, and I think there's a lot of research to show now that the generation, you know, in the last... 20, 25 years that are coming up through university, they are having a huge challenge with dealing with failure and dealing with, you know, um, just all the challenges that life has to offer because they don't know how to, uh, they don't know how to manage it because of this virtual environment. Like, is that a concern for you in, in terms of emotional resilience? Absolutely. Uh, emotional education is mm. my basis. And so if you can help them develop emotionally, I mean, just, just this past weekend, uh, or this past week, we had the shooting in Texas. Yeah. I don't know when this will air, but you know, that's when we're recording it. I mean, I don't know how to solve that, but one thing I can do, you can do, we all can do is try to better emotionally educate our children so that they're not liable to be as crazy to go out and buy a machine gun and shoot other mm. people. Okay. You know, what can you do? If I'm a lawmaker, there's certain things I can do. But if I'm a parent, I can only do so much. But one of the things I can do is work on my children and emotionally educate them, spiritually educate them so that maybe they know how to shoot a gun, but they also know when not to shoot a gun. 
Yeah. And, and we also don't want our kids to be emotionally numb that this is, um, you know, this is just a reality of life that somebody could come up into a school and, and, and shoot it up, you know, like that's, that's my other, like, I don't know if you heard that interview with the, with that, uh, that one child, it broke my heart just when he said that, um, what the gunman had said, uh, to him and the way, you know, just hearing that kid talk about it, it was like, it sounded like he was still processing, obviously maybe what was happened, what had happened. Um, but he didn't know really what to do with that information. And it almost sounded like he was just normalizing it in the, in the tone. Right. And he, I don't know how old he was. He seemed like a pretty young kid, but like, that's 10. another fear. Sorry. Most of them were about 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And, and th that's my other fear is that kids are just going to think, well, this is uh, a sad reality of, of going to school is that this could potentially happen. Yeah. And, and I believe every school has gone through the drills. You know, if yeah. if we get this signal, everybody go hot, lock the door, hide under the desk, blah, blah, blah. I mean, when I was a kid, we did them for the nuclear holocaust. You know, mm -hmm. if the nuclear bomb goes off, you know, basically bend over and kiss your ass goodbye. But they <laughs> they told us where to stand and what to do, like it was going to make any difference in a nuclear mm -hmm. explosion. Mm -hmm. But so now you have to with gunmen, hopefully we'll get beyond this. The question is how and how soon. But again, the only thing. I know to do about it is to try to deal individually, help parents teach their kids better so that we have fewer and fewer of these crazy kids coming back to the school or going out, you know, with guns to do, to do crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. And I, I didn't, I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to get in, in into, um, into that shooting, but I will say, I think I can speak for the majority of Canadians that it's something that we just, always have a hard time understanding, right? Because yes. the laws are very different here in Canada than they are in the United States. Where are you, Tim, in, in the in United Florida. States? You're in Florida, okay. So I'm yeah, not so, too far from where the uh, thing happened down in South Florida. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was that was almost two years ago now, hey? Yeah, yeah and we're still, and the poor kid, they're trying to decide right now if he's gonna get the death penalty or spend life in prison. You know, and, and I feel sorry for him because I don't think he's all there mentally. But on the other hand, 17 people are, are not there at all. And so what do you do about that? When it becomes, I forget, there's, oh, there's, this, um, there's this tweet that a, I believe a Boston Globe reporter um, shared after the, um, the Newtown tragedy. And it was along the lines of like, you know, if, if, it's, if it's becoming okay to to shoot kids, then nothing else, nothing's going to change when it comes to America's gun laws. Like, well, and going back to the two dimensional world, how many games are there for teenagers where the goal is to kill as many enemy mm -hmm. as possible? And you get in mm -hmm. there and you shoot and you have a bazooka and you have a lightsaber and blah, 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 kill, 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 kill. Mm -hmm. And, and if that's your form of entertainment, how does that not transfer over into the real world where you feel that it's, okay or at least okay if not good to go out and actually kill people hmm. so I, you know, yeah i don't know what the do you know if they've done any research they must be doing research on that the imp influence of of these kind of video games oh, on absolutely. the mental health of children yeah no I, i've cited in the book because that's one of the focuses okay uh, that uh playing, I think it's playing violent video game. Yeah. Playing violent video games has
has has a bigger effect on kids than smoke, secondhand smoke, mm. and you know just all kinds of things that are illegal. Uh, it just it makes a tremendous effect on the negativity. And then they did the similar study on music with violent lyrics, and mm. again similar results. And there, are, I think there's over a thousand studies that confirm the connection between violent video games and bad behavior. Interesting. So, again, what can we do about it? Nothing I can do. Maybe I can vote for somebody who can do something about it. Mm. But at least what I can do is try to raise my own kids as be with better emotional balance. Yeah. I mean, I, I when I was in high school, um, you know, I played these kind of first person shooter games, these video games. And but it, it, it takes I don't know what it would take to, to have that like you. I never thought about like, okay, therefore I got to go, I want to go to a shooting range even, or, or pick up a gun even for target practice or to improve or to learn how to shoot a gun in general. Um, that's just a real weird concept. I think to most Canadians, like, it's just not, it's not, um, you have to go through a lot of, um, you know, you have to get your license and there's a lot of hoops to get to actually possess a firearm in Canada, but so it's just not built to think into the think of thinking of many Canadians, but it's, it wasn't never like I play these games and I'd be done with it after. And it was fun to play. And then, but to, to then for someone to make the leap to be like, okay, I'm, I'm having fun playing these video games and therefore I'm going to now translate that and, and commit a violent act something's probably missing in that spiritual dimension, I would think, hey? Clearly the spiritual and probably the emotional. Yeah. And you know, being able to feel the pain of the other people you've hurt. Yeah. You know, and, and, you, know, you were able to compartmentalize it and your yeah. brain worked that way. You could compartmentalize, okay, this is a game and this is reality. And somebody else's brain may not be able to make that or their compartmentalization possibly is that they can compartmentalize what they're doing, bang, 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 oh wow, and not feel or understand what the other person is feeling who they've done yeah. it to. Uh, you know, just brains do work differently and some people just don't work the right way. But And we can, tr again, what can I do about it? We have mental health institutions, but at least in my family, I can try to make sure my kid grows emotionally the best I can do. The the feeling for others, like you say, and that the sitting with people and having that empathy, you know, where I think we're we're increasingly everyone's becoming aware of how we're in this. It seems like we're in this empathy def deficit, or that we just need to be developing this part of our brain. How do how do parents help kids at an early age with empathy? Got a lot of activities. Um, early age, you can start with what I call a game I call emotion raids. Okay. Right? And you start with, you know, this is like maybe two, three years old. And you go, what emotion is this? What emotion is this? Okay. And maybe, and, and then, okay, now you show me happy. Now you show me anger. And so you'll play a little bit of charades with each other. And you can even do it with drawings, if they're decent drawings, you know, draw the frown, draw the smile, what emotion. Part of emotional understanding is you name it to tame it. So when they're in the terrible twos and they're getting all these crazy emotions and they don't even mm. know what it is. And that's why they're so wild and, and frustrated. And, you know, once you start saying, oh, you're getting angry. 
And he goes, oh, that's what anger is. Of course, he doesn't calm down and think about it, but later on he realizes, okay, that was anger. Oh, right. now you're happy. Okay, and so you start naming the emotions, then you start learning to control the emotions. And, okay, I think I'm getting off subject, but anyway, on the emotional control, back to the question. No, that's that's that that's that's perfectly fine. You know, I was I was gonna um, bring up a situation with with my daughter, if that's okay, where uh, you know she loves. I don't know if it's just like if it's with all kids and dads, but I've talked to other dads and they're they're having. It seems like they're in a certain age, like two, three, four, five. There's like kids are have a, a trouble like connecting with their dads, or they don't want to. Sometimes there's like this push away from their dads. They just want to be around mom and that sort of thing, right? But it's interesting with my daughter. Like she'll want to be with my my wife, um, but then when I when my wife wants space and she just needs time for herself, I'll explain to my daughter, be like. You know, we need to help mommy, right? Because she needs some time for herself. Like, don't you want her? Don't you want her to feel rested and energized? And so then that, that way she can, you know, she can play with you and 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 do these things. And she'll be like, No, I don't want that. Like, I just want to. I just want to be with mommy, and I don't really kind of care. And, and so it's like, Huh? How do I make her? How do I help her understand that this is this is important for that person, right? And and she understands the emotions and she can see the frustration on my wife's face when she didn't have that time for herself or she's in a low point or whatever. But but how do I get her to really sit with my wife in that place and be like, okay, mommy needs that time now and I just need to do this and she'll be okay afterwards or, you know. She, she's not ready yet. She doesn't see it. Uh, other activities, again, in the book, uh, talk about like stuffed animals, okay? And then how does teddy bear feel? And it, the way your daughter's acting, teddy bear's going to feel the same way she feels. Mm. She doesn't understand teddy might have a different feeling. Yeah. But at some point, she might. Puppets. Give her two puppets, little mm -hmm. sock puppets, and have one talk as daddy and one talk as mommy. Mm. And get her to understand that, oh, daddy does talk different than mommy. Mm. And mommy does talk different than me. And then, you know, and so, you know, little activities like that to get her to, to, to make the leap that, other people don't want the same thing you want. Back back to the broccoli and the candy. Yeah, yeah. And then once she understands that, then she may say, "Oh, mommy needs time," and she may, you know, mm. six months from now, go up to, "Daddy, let's do this. Mommy needs time." Mm. <laughs> yeah. But you know, she has to be ready for it. But there are again little games and things you can do to to get her there. But until she's ready, she can't make the leap. Yeah. I love it. I, we, we uh, just a couple of days ago, we were walking in the park and she saw this large magnifying glass. It was a toy um, that a kid must have dropped, right? And it was near the school. And she, she looked at it, she's like, oh, I want it. And I said, okay, well, what if that kid, you know, comes back and is looking for it and then they don't have it? And she started, you could start to see like, okay, oh, that's not good. And she's like, yeah, but I really, really want it. You know, I told you, she literally told me the day before, because she has a small magnifying glass. She's like, you know, I want a big magnifying glass. We talked about it yesterday. And I was like, oh my goodness, I know this is like so timely for her. And uh, I was like, yeah, but trying to get her to now think about what, if it was her and, oh, did she have a hard time? But she put it down and she was good. And she's like, okay, can we see it tomorrow? And I said, yep, yeah, if it's, if it's still there tomorrow, then, then maybe we can, we can, we can, you can take it. And so the the next day we go for that walk and, 
you can tell she's praying that that thing is there <laughs> and we're looking for it and she's like daddy do you see it i'm like i don't know i don't see it and did she ever cry and so we worked her through her emotions and just and say what are you what are you feeling and she said well, i'm really sad and we, said, we know but you did the right thing and you might not feel that right now but you did the right thing and i was like think about that kid they're probably pretty happy to pick up that magnifying glass like yeah and so you could just see her her processing that and she calmed down and, and yeah it just makes me wonder whether um it it that moment that incident made her think about empathy in some way right exactly and again little things you can do but grab the teachable moment you know, yeah. that was a perfect teachable moment you did it the right way get her to think about the other child yeah and as she processes it once she makes that leap she'll start making that leap to mommy to daddy to everybody yeah yeah was there was there uh, do you have any children tim no i didn't meet my wife until we were 40. okay um was there something as you're go when you're um breaking out the different sections for the different stages in life was there something as you're writing this that you're kind of surprised about um that oh i didn't really realize that this was um you know that maybe that this development really occurred at this age or maybe this is how a parent should stick handle this for this age like was it were there any big like whoa revelation revelatory moments for you i'd say constantly uh, as i'm doing the, the research and uh, one of the things I do is I put over 200 references to research because mm. in this day and age, you don't know who's telling you what, right. and, you know, and what their, where their opinions came from. So I wanted to back up as much as I could with research and the mm. research is going to change. I mean, you know, is it bad to drink coffee? Is it good to drink coffee? It depends on mm -hmm. what year you're in. So the research right now says this 10 years from now, it may say something different. But right. at least it's not just my opinion, it's based on research. Uh, so a lot of things I learned that way, uh, I, none stick out particularly. Uh, some of the things that I had wonderful parents, you know, absolutely wonderful parents, but some of the things they didn't do, which caused me to be a very late bloomer emotionally, mm. uh, that could have been done, were included and, and you know, just, <laughs> For example, my sex education, my father mm. knew I was academic, so he got a book. He said, here, read this and help, tell me if you have any questions. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I, I think there's a whole lot more you can do to a preteen, a teen uh, in that direction. And I actually have a, a bunch of guidelines in the adolescent and the preteen chapter so that you don't get blindsided by a pregnant 11-year-old. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just... I mean, so much stuff that I, I learned that I put in there uh, for other parents to be able to take advantage of. Yeah, and that's interesting that you reflected along your own upbringing, right? And being like, yeah, that probably could have been def done differently. I remember the <laughs> I remember the first conversation I had after I heard learned about sex education in school, and and uh, you know, I I don't know, I kudos to my my late father who you know probably those conversations didn't always happen in india or at all for sure um and for him to kind of stick with me on on some of these conversations to some degree but i think at some point he was just like i can't deal with this anymore like i just i don't have the capacity or this is too uncomfortable but it, those are those are not easy conversations what else kind of, i'm curious now what else kind of stood up for you um 
when you're looking, thinking about your own childhood and as you were developing this book, was there anything else that stood out? Was uh, my parents probably could have done maybe this a little bit differently, or maybe I would have done something differently. Uh, just thinking back, I, I'm pretty sure I had a, uh, an imaginary friend. Yeah. And kind of might remember what he looked like. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just remembering that and realizing how common that is from three to five and how by five they usually disappear. Uh, so that was interesting. And, and during that time of imagination, uh, I kind of remember some religious visions and, you know, my mother asking what that was like, Oh my God. And, you know, realizing now that I became so rational, so focused on my prefrontal cortex, so proud of this logical brain that I pretty much shut off all of those memories and all of that connection. And right, right now I'm trying to get back the part of my brain that, right. that can do that. You know, in other words, turn off the monkey mind and, and try to see the, the real world beyond what we see in front of us and beyond what we think about by, by habit. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Like kids are, kids are probably the most present beings. You know what I mean? They're, they're just so in tuned and, and we as parents, um, and I would say this probably about my own parents, but you know, we pull them away from that presence, right? Like they're just in their own world. And then you go through this period of life. And then when you become an adult, Oh, I want to become more mindful. I want to reconnect. And had we not like, had we, stop taking that away from kids and we just let them be as present as possible. Obviously things have to move and kids have to, you know, you need to get them from point A to point B. You need to take them out of their own world. Things need to happen obviously for life to move on. But I think we're, we're inundating kids with class after class, after, you know, sporting after sport, after sport and not letting kids just be right. And then now they're like, when they get to an adult, they're like, oh, I don't really know myself because I was so busy in doing things when I was growing up that I actually now need to understand who I am. Like, I, I feel like it's a, it's something that as parents, we need to really think about. I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that, though. Yeah. One beautiful quote, I don't even know where it came from, is we're not human doings. We are human beings. Yeah. And we should focus more on being than doing. Yeah. And of course, you know, like I say, there's a value to us being two dimensional and there's a value to organizing your day and, you know, taking care making a schedule and setting your goals and achieving your goals. But that's not all there is to life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tim, I'm really enjoying our conversation. I'm just looking at the looking at the time. Do you mind if we pivot to the, the two questions that we typically ask our guests? Not at all. I mean, we, I don't think we've asked any of the questions we, we agreed upon, but that's fine. <laughs> I told, I warned you. I said that I might go off in a different tangent depending on where it goes. So, uh, but I, I've learned a lot. So I've, I've appreciated my time with you. Um, so we always ask our guests uh, these two questions. The first questions are five for dinner question, dead or alive, who are five people you'd want to have dinner with? I mean, curious if you'd have them together or if you'd have them individually, but what are your thoughts on that? And I'll take the word people kind of loosely. I would sure. have Moses, yeah. Jesus, Mohammed, Gautama the Buddha, and Krishna. All the prophets, hey? Yeah, everybody who said they had the answers. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't even imagine what I'd try to feed them. <laughs> the diets would be very different. <laughs> but 
just sit back and let them talk. <laughs> yeah. That's uh yeah, there's oh there's a faith that I feel like takes um that builds off of like all the different prophets, but I I always my I don't want to get too much into it, but um but my my thought on on religion is why don't we why don't we all these prophets apparently came at different times, right? And they probably had they 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 you know provided their thoughts at a certain moment in time why not take elements of all their teachings and and combine it and make it relative to how we're living today right like each all of them had amazing things to say um that'd be a fascinating conversation though yes uh there's there are parallels uh in the morality section of the book uh the moral dimension I quote Lawrence Kohlberg, and he yeah. has different stages of moral development. And those very much parallel the stages of humanity hmm. and the kind of, uh, just from our tradition, the, the Bible and the God of Israel was, was a very, you're bad, you're good kind yeah. of God. And then Jesus came along and said, do unto others as you would do unto yourself. Hmm. And that clearly happens as a development in people. And so the, like, it, almost like we create the God that we need or the God, it, or God is so smart that he just gives us the God we need, mm. you know, whichever way you want to look at it. And so uh, that's one way of looking at history and the prophets and, and all the religions. Uh, another way, it, Ken Wilber, brilliant man, a psychologist, and he basically put together a theory of everything mm. and studied Eastern and meditation and, and just amazing stuff. Uh, my four dimensions are like a very watered down, simplistic version for the average person of what he does for the entire universe. Okay. So that's something that people might want to look into. Ken Wilber. Ken uh, Wilber. But anyway, those are yes. my thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, very, uh, I've had, I've had a few of those, I've had, uh, several guests mention some of those, uh, people that you'd have at your, at your, um, at your dinner table, but not all five. And I think that uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's an amazing, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how anyone really tops those five. Um, our last question beyond the circle of life. What do you know for sure? And now I gotta I gotta qualify this because someone challenged me on this question. Um, I mean, like in our physical world, right? Um, that uh, because someone said, well, you know, someone could say, well, you continue living past you die, right? Like if you're reincarnated or that sort of thing. So I mean, in our current physical vessel, in our current physical life, beyond the circle of life, what do you know for sure? Nothing. I mean, I know nothing for sure. I. When I went to college, I wanted to study philosophy, and I think the history of philosophy is either the first or second course. You can't trust <laughs> your mind. <laughs> okay, if I can't trust yeah. my mind, why am I studying philosophy? Yeah. So, and that's when I expanded to study different religions. Uh, and so, what do I know for sure? Nothing. I have beliefs, and I follow those beliefs, but as I said earlier, education, the process of taking your current understanding, challenging it, and hopefully getting a better understanding. So if I'm here to learn, I know nothing for sure. I want to keep learning from you, from my dog, from everybody. Yeah. 
That's awesome. There's a Tim. I can easily sense there's a level of curiosity in you that just probably um, is guides the way you you are and how you function. Would that be fair to say? I'd say that yes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that's fantastic, and and that's made this conversation um, quite easy to be honest. And I really have appreciated your time. I've learned a lot. Uh, where can people uh, find your book, and 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 where can they learn more? Well. Uh... Let's just do this. Yeah. It's Raising Four-Dimensional Children in a Two-Dimensional World. You can get it on Amazon, but you can only get the entire book on Amazon. If you want to okay. get the individual chapters I talked about earlier, you have to go to my website, which is 4D, as in dimension, 4D-2D.com. If you leave out the dash, you end up in China somewhere. <laughs> 4D-2D.com. Yeah, that's just... What is that Chinese cool. website, if you don't mind me asking? Sorry? What's the Chinese website, that if you just did 4D2D.com? There are a lot of pretty Asian girls on it. Oh, okay, all right, well, all right, let's make sure we have the dash. Yes, um, Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you so much, Tim. We're going to put uh, all of Tim's uh, information in our show notes and, and where you can find the book and... I encourage you to look it up. It sounds really, really interesting. And like you said, if there's a certain particular age that you just want to focus on or you just want to get a sense of, of Tim's advice and the research that he's done, then then take him up on that and visit 4D-2D.com. Um, Tim, pleasure. It really was. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for reaching out to us. And, and I'm going to look into more of the book myself. And I've learned a lot. So, um yeah, just appreciate you today. Hopefully you enjoyed yourself as well. I did. Thank you very much for inviting me. Great, Tim. Thank you everyone for joining us today and we'll see you next time. Bye.